0: You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest has produced a liquid soap that sells every 2.2 seconds around the world. He famously locked himself in a cage with industrial hemp plants in front of the White House in Washington. He has also led the fight for GMO labelling, and this is just some of the things he has done. Welcome to the show, David Bronner. Thanks for joining me today, David. How are you? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm great, and yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. So, David, tell us about your Dr. Bronner's Peppermint Pure Castle Liquid Soap. What led you to create it?
1: Well, uh, actually, it was uh, my grandfather, uh, Dr. Bronner, um, who himself was a a third-generation master soap maker. He he grew up uh, in Germany um, in a a southern German town called Heilbronn. His grandfather started... Manufacturing soap in 1858 in another yeah. small German town, Laupheim. Uh, Orthodox Jewish family. Um, by the time uh, my granddad was coming of age, um, his dad and two uncles had um, basically built a, a big factory in Heilbronn and we were producing most of the liquid soaps in uh, public washrooms in Germany and in the Zeppelins and everything. Um, he came over in '29 uh and uh but more out of generational conflicts with his dad than, than than the eventual dimensions of Hitler and fascism um so it's a long story there but uh you know increasingly desperate to get his family out and his two sisters got out but his parents stayed till it was too late and the factory was Aryanized, and they were deported and killed mm. um so in response to this he he felt that in the next um the next holocaust in a nuclear-armed world if we didn't realize our transcendent unity across religious and ethnic divides um we would all perish um you know going around the country lecturing and selling his natural family soap recipe on the side uh you know which in his favorite scent was peppermint um and on the post-world war ii era like natural soaps were kind of out of fashion and was better living through chemistry was a, was the mantra and you know kind of fancy petrochemical based surfactants and moisturizers and personal care and synthetic fertilizers and agriculture and plastic and all that yeah but um you know he stayed true to the kind of natural biodegradable soaps and they really resonated with the rise of the counterculture when a whole generation kind of uh dropped out, you know, in protest against the kind of rampant exploitation of the earth and this war machine that wouldn't stop and you know, here's my granddad's soap with a, uh, you know, biodegradable versatile soap you could wash your hair, dog, dishes by the side of the river and not worry about it and uh, a really sweet message of peace and love. So that's kind of like when the soap really caught fire. It was it uh, was in the 60s and 70s and and then, you know, just kind of became a mainstay of the counterculture. And, uh, and then with the, uh, you know, as uh, sustainability and wellness went mainstream, that's uh, kind of like, that's when our soap really started to cross over. Mm. It is but, amazing uh, because, yeah.
0: I mean, it, so much of that resonates even today. So much of what you've just said.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, we're, I think, you know, like, uh, obviously we're facing the, the climate change cliff and people are really waking up that we, we need to figure out how to, how do we produce our food and clothes and soaps and everything else in a way that's in harmony with the earth and mm. doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't create a disaster? Doesn't go to hell and back? Yeah. It's all too often. So many of our products are just really feeding a, a machine that's just destroying the earth. So,
0: I mean, I, I work for I work as a makeup artist, and I actually um, am working for a brand here in Australia who have just taken a chemical out of their sunscreen because they realized it was actually killing um, coral. Um, So it's great that they've taken it out of the product, but I mean, who would have even thought that that was even a reality that we were sort of dealing with? I mean, that just spins my mind.
1: Yeah, you know, that's just it. I mean, that, you know, I think that's what's really driving natural um, personal care. I mean, the recognition that just having so many different chemicals and, in our, in our, you know, cosmetics and our food and our water, the air we breathe. I mean, this is just, you know, not healthy and not good for uh, us, not good for the earth. So I think like simple, you know, simplifying formulas going more natural. Um, that's such a huge trend and so important. Yeah. Now you
0: are also a fierce campaigner for cannabis and psychedelics for patients and responsible adults. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, my path uh, is a little complex, but um, uh, I was in college, you know, so my dad, I grew up working with my dad, uh, who oversaw the soap production for my granddad, but had his own business. Um, I grew up in, uh, uh, among other things, he developed firefighting foam and, and made a version for, a, uh, sort of like in a low visibility forest fire, when you drop foam, you can actually see where you drop the water and There's a lot of other advantages to foam and and, uh, for fighting fires, but it it looks like a blizzard hit the forest. Mm. So my dad developed a version for Hollywood that um, as a fake snow. So me and my brother grew up going commercial movie sets, blasting foam on trees to make it look like it snowed in a hundred degree LA summertime. How fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was super rad. And, you know, my dad kind of rebelled against my granddad. You know, my dad kind of felt, you know, a little bit that my granddad bailed as a father to go off to save the world and you know my my dad's mom died when he was really young and um so he kind of came up in a series of foster homes and so he you know he was all about like you know uh, taking care of your family and your community and showing up like kind of for projects right in front of you that are like more practical rather than the more cosmic vision of my my granddad so you know me and my brother came under came up under that and um and uh, yeah it wasn't really until college you know and I you know I didn't really understand what my grandma was all talking about you know. so you know I, I, I uh, me and my brother grew up with my dad and uh, he was just amazing just an incredible example of uh, more practical projects, showing up for your family showing up mm. for your community um, and uh, so anyways it wasn't until college and you know I went to Harvard I was a biology major and I'd rejected, I, I was, even though my dad was half Jewish, she was pretty religious. My mom's Protestant. So I grew up Protestant and, but I had rejected my faith by the time I was 13. I was more or less agnostic. And, and then I was in college and I remember, um, I was kind of increasingly dissatisfied with kind of scientific reductionism that says, you know, human consciousness is just, um, you know, it's just a natural adaptation to survive. Um, And, uh, you know, everything's all just physical process. And, um, you know, and, and you know, on one level, sure, of course, but, you know, it was just really not that satisfying. It was just pretty incomplete. And I remember, and I was also like, I played football and then rugby, and I was partying a lot and going out drinking. But I started to, like, just realized like hey just hanging out with my friends uh, in my room listening to music and smoking some cannabis and just going deep with each other and um, th- it was just so much such a higher vibration than alcohol which you know has its place but um, you know just really appreciated like kind of on the Bob Marley level you know just it really helps kind of elevate our vibration out of whatever dumb moods we're in and yeah, not, not relating to each other and kind of magical sp- Creatures and magical world we live in, but kind of, you know, just being in a like whatever mood, and then like actually celebrating life and celebrating each other, Mm. you know, and just really entering that more higher vibration. So really, it was appreciating cannabis in college, and and then mushrooms. So I was I was made my junior year in college. I remember I took my first kind of mushroom chocolate, and I remember looking down at my arm and thinking, well, you know, at a quantum level. Like, I'm one with the world. There's not a difference from, like, my arm to the rest of the world at at, a, at the deepest energetic level. You know, I was just, you know, high on, on on mushrooms, just kind of thinking about the most basic, simple things. Yeah, so, you know, I was just kind of realizing, you know, when we eat and, and we poo and just at the most basic level that the energy of the world is pouring through me. Mm. And I'm, like, one with it, and I'm not even, like, the same stuff month to month, you know, I'm just... You know, my blood, like all all of it's like different. And you know, I'm just like kind of this energy like energy river with the world. And there's like this larger self that I'm part of. And, you know, we're all here not that long. And just like feeling this larger identity and, and and oneness with with this kind of living reality that we're in. And it's not like this kind of dead world out there, but it's kind of we're all together as one. And you know, that was really one of my first important um, kind of unity experiences um, on, you know, that were, were helped by, you know, psychedelic medicine and, mm. um, and it still didn't register too deeply at that point um, and it really wasn't until Amsterdam uh, after college, I had a year old pass and, you know, this is 1995 and, you know, Amsterdam was the Mecca, it was kind of the land of the free for real. Um, you know, as far as cannabis, of course, but just generally a very open and tolerant society and um and and when i got to amsterdam i just i intersected the cannabis cup the night the eighth cannabis cup and got exposed to to hemp to to hemp fiber to hemp clothes and 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 just the like incredible potential of this crop whose history had been more or less buried um and met just amazing activists who um were just beautiful people and mm. they're they're and they were facing like 10 years of life if they stepped foot back in the U S and a couple of them had formed a church in Arkansas in 1993 called our church. And they used cannabis as a sacrament to help elevate into the higher vibration and make a religious first amendment challenge to the U S constitution. And they got busted up by the feds. And, and, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them were locked up in jail. And, you know, a couple of them were in my squat in Amsterdam, and I was just going through a lot of awakening myself and really woke up like, wow, man, what's wrong with my country that these awesome people would go to jail for their whole lives. And, you know, and, and by any rational measure of anything, alcohol is so much worse. Oh, and man. cannabis is not only like, you know, not, you know, and it's not just about partying. It's actually about being in, you know, helping us be better people. And you know, realizing that the war on drugs is in large part a war on cannabis, and the war on the sacrament of my people, and really starting to activate, like that—that—that the prohibition of cannabis was a proxy to go after the hippies and the counterculture, and before that, a proxy to go after Mexican and African Americans back in the '30s when Mm. it was originally banned, and just the just the kind of racist, like just fascist policy of of um of the prohibition of cannabis and psychedelics of you know and not not, none of which have any abuse potential or you know you can't possibly overdose and um you know just just waking up to that and just wondering like well what else is wrong with what i've been taught and just kind of in a really wide open state there and um you know and actually in this time too had uh, some more very important psychedelic experiences that really blew me open blew my heart mind wide open and really understood at a deepest possible level the light and love that my grandma was talking about and getting there was very difficult had to go through a lot basically you know dying to myself I didn't even want to be I was actually in like a gay trans club and it was like man I don't even want to be this homophobic sexist idiot dude that guy sucks and um you know just basically dying and being embraced in the light and love and just just like wow you know like like immediately understanding what my granddad was talking about and like yes this is what all the faith traditions all the religions of the the world at their heart are pointing at but unfortunately they take you know when they take themselves too seriously and they make fundamentalist idols out of their beliefs that's when it goes sideways and that's all too often but but, but at their core, this is the mystical core. And just really realizing, wow, my granddad's right. In the midst of suffering and absurdity, this is our, the deepest ground of our being. And this is what his mission in life was. And then, Whoa, how beautiful. And just really appreciating that. And, um, you know, in his time, like, uh, my, my these same squat mates were, were vegetarian. And, you know, I was in this wide open state. And they're like, you know, hey, why are you eating meat? And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, why am I doing that? And, you know, when smoked a bull and realize I have a knife when I'm in the store and I can shut down and kill that cow or I could just let the cow go do its thing. Like just, you know, I could be in a relationship like I am with my dog and just because I choose not to be doesn't mean, like, it's not a really amazing creature that can just mm. be itself and I can go eat some vegetables, um, you it's know. Funny, and, it's and, funny you actually yeah.
0: say that because I – um I've got a St. Bernard and it's it's the first dog that I've actually ever owned and I, I mean I was almost born a vegetarian. I didn't actually like meat. I didn't like the taste of it, didn't like the texture from when I was born and I was sort of forced to eat meat because it was just the thing to do and then when I got my dog about it's been about seven years now I turned vegetarian again because I thought how can I love this creature so much and not give the same respect to every other creature? And that's when I decided I
1: don't need to eat meat anymore. That's beautiful, man. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly was my kind of exact trajectory and Mm. that, you know, that we, we can be in that relationship. We we just choose not to be, and we just choose to shut down and be unconscious. And, you know, and you know, and fast forward to today. I mean, I, I I do appreciate people who are in who who can be disciplined and only choose to eat animal products from a high level pasture based operation where the where the the, animal, the chickens and the cows where they get the roam free on pasture and mm. can live their lives and aren't in little cages. But ninety nine percent of the time, it's a it's a disaster. It's such a inhumane horror show, oh, and gotcha. and it's so ecologically destructive and. And anyways, I mean, even, even that, I mean, I, I mean, I appreciate it. It's not my, I, I still think, you know, the, the vegan vegetarian path is preferable, but, um, uh, but the, the reality is, is that 99% of what's happening in with livestock is, is so atrocious and horrible. So that, you know, just people need to, you know, I I would say either go vegan or vegetarian, or just, you know, if you're going to choose to eat meat, dairy and eggs, it's, be really careful and make sure you know the farm, know how they're treating their animals. Yeah. You know, it's like, don't, t- like, it's your, your choice. You know, it's your knife.
0: This is Ant's Talk. I actually find it funny that most of those meat eaters will often go off at people when they post one of those videos that shows you the, the reality on Facebook. And they're like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to see that stuff. And, oh, you shouldn't be posting that stuff. And it's and to me, it's like, why do you fear seeing where the food you're putting into your mouth comes from and how it gets there? If you fear it that much, then stop doing it.
1: Hundred percent, man. That's awesome, and that's that's exactly it. I mean, people need to people need to collapse, and you know that 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 realization that your fork is a pitchfork, your knife is a butchering knife. You know, Mm. what does your farm look like? And and that you know, and that and that's a big part of what we're doing at Bronners is all of our ingredients are produced from farms all you know we we realize just like our personal dietary choice like we can choose to eat from a farmer who's taking care of their farm and their land without a bunch of synthetic pesticides and fertilizers and regenerating the land and 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 and, and, you know planning diverse crop rotations and having biodiverse habitat for for predator insects that control pests naturally and and pollinators and doing everything right and treating their workers right and just everything right versus like a monoculture desert of GMO corn and soy to be fed to factory farmed animals, Mm. Uh, you know, like that, that choice that we all face as people, you know, when we, when we eat as a company, each company has this very similar decision on, you know, we all like most of our, all of our food, clothes, soap, so much stuff comes from agriculture i mean it's all like materials produced from agriculture so as a company i realized wow we're making that same unconscious choice everyone else is we're just buying from brokers on price and spec here's our coconut oil here's our olive oil we have no idea who's growing it under what kind of conditions and like that not lack of taking responsibility leads to this like just disaster out in the world i mean it's Mm. just like it leads to this you know, okay, like where you know, where can we produce coconut oil the cheapest uh, possible? And, you know, it basically means okay, we're gonna find a country that has the most lax environmental, most lax uh, labor laws, you know, i.e. like for let's say palm oil, that's like one of our ingredients in Barso, very controversial, um, and rightly so, because the the palm plantations in Borneo and Indonesia, they're like just ripping up rainforests oh, yeah. and destroying orangutan habitat and disrupting communities but what when we decided well we're gonna there's nothing bad about palm inherently it's just another crop and everything everything can be farmed in a way that's good or bad and unfortunately most of the time it's bad but when you take responsibility and you say okay like i want to farm in nature's image and you look at like a, a wild forest there is no synthetic chemical inputs it's completely mm-hmm. self-regenerating so for a tree crop like palm well, how do you do that and we realized, like we're we actually have partnered with a company in Ghana um, that works with over a thousand it's actually our sister company, Sarinda Palm. And um and they partner with over a thousand farmers that intercrop palm with cocoa banana in Kosovo, And the and the palm trees are high trees and then the Kosovo I mean and the and the cocoa and the banana are kind of mid-level, and then the Kosovo is on the ground. Right. And what that does, like when you do it right and you get the right spacing and you understand how the canopies fill in and the right spacing and all that, um, you actually will replicate like a, a natural ecosystem has the, the, the tall trees, mid-level trees and ground cover, and you're going to maximize photosynthetic capture. You're going to double your biomass, you're double your yields, you're going to minimize weed and pest pressure of growing in a monoculture and, and boost income, like double incomes for the, for the farmer. Mm. And it's not and it's knowledge intensive agriculture, not chemical intensive. And and we're and then cocoa is another disaster crop. It's grown in West Africa predominantly in Central America and generally grown in a monoculture and it just takes huge amounts of insecticide and there's literally child slavery on a lot of farms in West Africa and it's, it's really not good. But we're showing intercropping two of the most like kind of notorious crops. You can do it in a way that's completely regenerative. You're actually regenerating soil, regenerating land, regenerating rural economies, making good livelihoods for the farmers and uh, and, you know, making really quality, um, you know, uh, materials for soaps and food and everything else. Um, So that's, you know, each of our ingredients has a story like that. Our our olive oil comes from uh, uh, mostly from the uh, Palestinian side, from Palestinian farmers in the West Bank. Uh, farming regeneratively no chemicals all in a really beautiful way Mm. and then the balance comes from the israeli side half from an arab christian project and half from a jewish family farm so we have jewish muslim christian olive oil so
0: i love that and i also know that you're involved with reducing the carbon footprint of manufacturing with your own company while using 100 percent post-consumer recycled bottles for the packaging for the soap
1: yeah. So, you know, we're all sold. Well, we're half our, we have solar panels all around and kind of maxed out our installation and that's about half of our energy. And then the other half, we, we have a, a, a green credit, you know, we buy renewable off the grid and just help uh, build out wind and solar farms. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then our whole manufacturing process is very ecological and um very simple when you make soap in the traditional way it's a very yeah. simple simple process no waste generated so where is it? And place then,
0: where does this all happen
1: in north county san diego wow and okay. yeah we're right by the border with mexico and um yeah it's a, it's beautiful here mm. uh and uh yeah but very much like you guys have had some you know major fire you know 300 year fires in the last 10 years and yeah. really, really feeling that impact of climate change directly um but yeah on, on the on the bottles yeah we pioneered 100 percent post-consumer recycled um you know our soaps are very concentrated so you're going to get you know way more out of a bottle of our soap than than pretty much two to three times more concentrated than your average quote-unquote soap and um yeah post-consumer recycled bottle and then also our you know just uh you know the super echo option though honestly is a bar soap i mean our, our liquid soaps are bomb and beautiful, but the bar soap is uh you know definitely the most ecological when it when it comes down to it um, and uh, uh we use all post consumer recycled paper to wrap the bar soap and it's all certified organic fair trade, regenerative organic agriculture uh ingredients, and that i should say the that method of farming I've been talking about it blends you know the best soil health the best animal welfare although no animals are in, involved in our production but the standard that we're being certified to is called regenerative organic and, and we're in partnership with patagonia and you take organic as a baseline but then you layer on the the best soil health the best animal welfare and the best fair labor into a single standard so instead of having like a separate fair trade and a separate organic and a separate animal welfare uh, again animal welfare not being applicable to us but instead of having all these different certifications you just have one and that um that to launching right now like this by the end of spring it will be um in the market it'll take a little while to ramp up but we expect this standard to um really catch fire and i was just out there in australia yeah
0: um, i was actually just gonna ask you that
1: what were you out here for uh you know i'd never been and our partners there lateral food um had invited us out and actually originally I was there f- going to go to the Byron uh, Bay, uh, surf festival. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, enjoy that. But then, then actually the dates got switched, but we're like, Oh, we'll just still, still come out and, uh, come, uh, kind of just visit a lot of different retailers and just kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, do some conferences and, um, uh, and so we like, we ended up just, Going, uh, coming to Melbourne first and met a lot of amazing retailers and toured some next level farms. And that's what I wanted to say is that there's some really beautiful farms in Australia, yeah. re, you know, really doing it right. You know, just showing how you can, you know, take barren, depleted soil and you bring it back to life and plant just beautiful multi-species or, orchards with, you know, just incredible windbreaks of eucalypt trees and um, you know, like the amount of carbon and that, that's another point about regenerative organic like the amount of carbon you can put in the soil when you farm regeneratively um so so one of the big contributors to greenhouse gases is is depleted soils when industrial agriculture comes in and saturates soil with chemicals chemical fertilizers and pesticides and rips it up it basically destroys the life in the soil so it just becomes dead dirt yeah and and you're just coming. You're just getting your crops to harvest with, with, a, with a crap ton of chemicals. But when you stop doing that and you start farming regeneratively, you 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 basically bring the soil back to life. And as that soil comes back to life with compost and smart rotation crops and cover crops and you're mulching and you're just kind of building the organic matter in that soil, that that as a soil nutrient cycle starts to really start cycling again, um, and 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 you know healthy. Healthy crops and, and trees, and that's all a, an outgrowth of healthy living soil, mm. but as that starts cycling that the the photosynthetic process of taking atmospheric carbon and making carbohydrates that um, becomes the root shoots and leaves of, of plants and trees, twenty to forty percent of that carbohydrate is actually exudated through the roots into the soil to feed all the microorganisms in a symbiotic relationship, and that carbon some of which some of that carbon stays and becomes like topsoil humus recalcitrant long-term carbon in, in the form of topsoil so when you're when you're farming regeneratively you're actually taking all this carbon that got oxidized up into the atmosphere uh from from the soil that was destroyed by farming it regeneratively you're bringing it back to life it's kind of like reforestation you're bringing that soil back to life and all the carbon's going back into the ground and um and at so 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 there's two awesome things, or actually there's many awesome things, but two of the most important things about this, if at global scale, we could take all this depleted farmland and rangeland and and farm it regeneratively, there's huge amounts of atmospheric carbon we could put back down in the ground. So in addition to switching to renewables and away from fossil fuels, we can take a a a whole bunch of atmospheric carbon and sequester it in soil. And that is like one of our number one strategies along with reforestation and do doing all, you know, other really good, good things. But the number mm-hmm. one way to sequester atmosphere carbon is through regenerative agriculture at scale and, and building that soil carbon also drought proof soil. So like you guys just had that, you know, horrible fire and then you had yeah. these huge rains that then, because there's, it just like immediately took all that, uh, you know, like kind of burned out. Soil, it's all, it's all, you know, it's obviously this fire destroyed the the life in the soil and it's just like washes right away. But when you have really high carbon, like, uh, you know, high organic matter in your soil, like a huge rain event like that, rather than just washing everything away, it can actually absorb all that water Mm. and and, and hold it. So when you're farming regeneratively, it's actually drought proofing your farm and and you're able to take like a huge rain event and basically store it in, in the land. And, uh, you know, rather than have it just immediately run off. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that's another big benefit. So anyways, it was awesome to see so just some next level farmers in Australia doing that. And it's really a worldwide, um, movement. Um, it's a worldwide problem. It, yeah. You know, uh, we're not going to solve, uh, uh, climate change, you know, just in one country. This needs no. to be a global movement. Yeah. So I, it was, it was I awesome. love you. I
0: really do love your passion for the planet and not just for the planet but also for humans you really do have got an interest in in both angles i I think it's it's absolutely admirable
1: yeah no thank you and and uh yeah i mean i think that's um crucial i mean uh you know we want to um
0: i think we all we all need take a bit of a a look at what's happening and and try and put out a bit of effort in because i mean it's uh, as they say, one person can do something, but when a whole lot of people are doing a little bit of something, things can change.
1: Right on, man. That's a hundred percent. And that's, um, yeah, you know, as a movement catches fire, that's, uh, absolutely. And, so da- um,
0: David, where can yeah. people find more about you? Have you got a website that people can find out more about what you're up to?
1: Yeah. Dr. Bronner, com and you know and I, and, and just circling back on the issues of psychedelics i just want to shout out yeah. i think it's called mind medicine is having a conference on november 19th november 18th and 19th in melbourne and they're bringing the top researchers in the field and i was i was sharing a little bit about my origin story but today psychedelic therapy there's a huge renaissance where they're taking uh, psilocybin and mdma in particular so psilocybin is the active component in magic mushrooms but Mm. it has incredible healing potential for people who are who have major depression who have uh end of life anxiety just have that existential dread it can just really help free just open your heart and Mm. and and just realize that we're part of some way bigger living process some miracle beyond you know imagining that's so beautiful and in the midst of the how difficult it is yeah. Um, Addiction—it's amazing for addiction, like just helping break really destructive cycles of behavior and thought, and yeah, and depression. Those like really bad loops people get in—it's like hit and reset. Um. There's anyways, definitely so there's definitely that. a rumbling
0: happening here in Australia about it. I mean i I've been seeing and reading a lot of stories myself. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time, and you're just you're a world of knowledge. I absolutely could listen to you all day. I really
1: could. Yeah, right on. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I'll actually be back out there for that conference and actually going back to Byron. I actually had to split, you know, talking about our, our lovely uh, canine companions. My, my sweet Carly had the transition. So I had to jet back and miss my Byron leg and uh, help her cross over and just on a, on a big wave of love. And yeah. um, But uh, but I'm going to come back and uh, check out that conference and then go, go back to Byron and, well, oh, you're gonna you're
0: gonna absolutely love it. It's a wonderful place.
1: Awesome, man.
0: Yeah, no, Australia is beautiful. Can't wait to go, can't wait to go back. Fantastic, David. Thank you so much again. Speak to you soon.
1: Right on. Thank Bye. you, man. Bye. Cool.
0: Tune in each week for Ann's Talk to learn about real life stories, celebrities, and everything in between.